Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And we're back, folks. Another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. And missed you. Missed you. Missed this show. Missed my man, Tim McCormick. So glad to get back in the rhythm of talking Michigan basketball every week, even after a week where they had a couple of games canceled, where a couple of games won't be played Looking to have the Michigan State and Purdue games made up later in the season. We'll talk about that and much more. The man who wore the uniform, played at a very high level, first-round draft pick out of the University of Michigan, played in the NBA for, for 10 years now, one of the best basketball commentators in the land. And i like to introduce him first as my friend, Tim McCormick. Tim, Happy New Year, man. How you doing? I am good, man. It's so good to talk to you. And, and I want to wish you and your, your family a Happy New Year. Um, we haven't spoken because of the holidays. and. Michigan football and that thrill ride and the Heisman and the Harbaugh talk. We haven't talked in, in a month. Um, and there have been so many times that, that I, I've been watching the game thinking, man, I, I, wa- I wonder what, what Sam thinks of what just happened. Or what, you know, what would Sam do? And so it, it's good to break it down. But, you know, from a basketball perspective, things have gone poorly. Um, Michigan has lost three or four since the last podcast and three other games canceled or postponed. And, and I, I think that we're set up for a really interesting conversation today. Yes, we are. And, and so I think every year you learn a good deal about the team through the non-conference, right? You, you figure out where, where, they're, where they've grown. You, you figure out what things can be improved upon. You figure out what things can't be fixed in this season. And we will talk about all of those things in this podcast today. Uh, but I, I guess I, I want to broad brush it first, Tim, and just give me your impressions of this team through the non-conference and this conference play really picks up. You know, what do you think of them and what, what issues do you see them really having at this point? So I, I, I will always remain hopeful and optimistic. It's still very early. And in many ways, I feel like my excitement about this team earlier in the year was clouded um, and and it's time to reassess things. 35 days ago, Michigan was six and three. They were one and0 in the big 10. and I really looking at the schedule expected a five game win streak and for Michigan to be 10 and three going into the Michigan State game. Man was I wrong and and I, I feel like I, um, I I really misread the situation. Um, do they have talented players? They do. They have multiple guys that are going to play in the NBA. I, I still believe that. But the biggest issue to me is the roster. It doesn't fit. And, and guys are trying really hard. Um, we've got some players that are in positions that they might not be best suited for. And, and so to answer your question, when, when you ask what I think of this team, I picked Michigan to be the best team in the Big Ten. I thought it would be Michigan, Purdue, Illinois, in that order. Instead, Michigan's in ninth place right now. And if they play at Illinois this weekend, I guess that'd be Friday night, they're looking at a 500 record overall and a major, major mountain to climb to be an NCAA caliber team. Um, is that thinking too far ahead? No, it's not. And, 
And and so I, I have some real clear ideas why Michigan's turning around. And I do have questions on whether they will be able to based on um, the mismatch of some some of their their best players in their lineups. Well, I can't let you walk that plank yourself, Tim, uh, because I I like you thought Michigan would be the best team in the Big Ten. I like you thought that there would be some some seamless carryover from the guys that were returning. I thought that it would be the transition for Devontae Jones would be a lot quicker than we've seen it take so far. Uh, you know, I felt like the freshman impact would be uh, quicker than we and, – and that's not to disparage or denigrate those guys. Just thought it would be uh, – that it would hit harder sooner. And those things just haven't come together. I mean, it's, it's going to be more of a journey for this this team. And then I wonder if, if some of these things – and we'll get to this a little bit later on – if some of these just can't be corrected because of the roster issues you talk about. But then you the, the layer of complexity to this is when you talk about how – how upward bound they may be or may not be, you got to look at what else has happened in the Big Ten. I don't know about you, Tim, but uh, Johnny Davis and Keegan Murray, I mean, those guys have emerged as, like, ballers. <laughs> I mean, you, you, yep. look at, you look at the top of the Big Ten now, and this, you know, even if you, even if you set aside, okay, you knew Purdue was going to be good, you knew Illinois was going to be, be good, Michigan State's better than you thought, Wisconsin's better than you thought, Iowa's better than you said. The Big Ten just looks like a more treacherous road to, to navigate at this point. Well, when you look at ESPN, they, um, they put out their top 25 players in college basketball. And, and there are eight of them from the Big Ten, like, like a third of them. Johnny Davis is one. Kofi is two. Keegan Murray and EJ Liddell are both in the top ten. Trace Jackson Howe, um, Davis, Jaden Ivey, Trevion Williams, Zach Eady. Interesting. There's no Hunter Dickinson on that list, and he was an All-American last year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that he's in part, and this is not to, you know, to um, cut Hunter a break or anything. I, I think he's in part a, bit, a victim of, of circumstance. Teams are able to key on him even more than we thought they would be able to because uh, you, you just need more play around him. And then to a point that you made earlier, you, you talked about the need for him to be more demanding on the team, I think Jawan has kind of spoken to that as well. Wanted him to lead more vocally, to be more com a more commanding presence for this team. But even with all of that, Tim, he can't pass the ball to himself. He doesn't bring the ball up the court. He can't spread the floor himself. You just need some other pieces uh, to really step up around him. And so let's get into what you were talking about with the uh, with the four and the five. I asked you a, a question before we went on the break, and I said, okay, when the floor is compressed, when when jump shots aren't falling, what are some ways in which you can you can maybe still work through Hunter? And you talked about some of the ways you can do that. We talked about maybe some high-low action with, with Musa and, and Hunter. Now that you've seen Musa and Hunter play together uh, some here over the recent stretch of games, do you think that that can be an elixir? Like what do you see as maybe one of the keys to solving the riddle of, of making Hunter the focal point and, and having the four and the five both thrive together at the same time. Wow. Okay. So, so Hunter Dickinson to me is still an all league player. Um, he is having an excellent sophomore year and, and the numbers are a little bit better, but, but you're having growing pains because livers and Smith and Franz and Shondi Brown, they're not there. Yeah. And they created so much space last year for Hunter. He was playing one-on-one -on -one 
there was a play against Rutgers, and he still scored, but he had to knife between three, three. players. <laughs> yeah, I remember and, that. And it was a beautiful move, and he would not have made that last year. But let me let me share his numbers. He's averaging 16 points, nine boards, 59% from the field against double and triple teams. And and so I think Michigan's doing a good enough job of getting him involved. I'd love to see him more just on the post, flashing and, and going side to side and, and just do some more old school basketball. But I don't really have a problem with anything Hunter's doing. And, and it's actually a positive that he's being doubled so much because there should be open shots for other guys. Now, here is my first roster issue. And, and I didn't know this going in because Musa is so darn long and athletic. Um, I talked to an NBA scout earlier this week. I said, is Musa a first-round pick? He said, absolutely. He got a big smile on his face. He said the NBA will love him with his length and the spacing in the NBA game. Now, when Michigan plays Musa and Hunter at the four and the five, the defense is not good enough right now, especially coming to three-point line. And, and it's neither of their faults. Ten years ago, this would have worked fine. As a matter of fact, it would have been great. Not today because threes, fours, and fives play different today. Everybody shoots the three. Seven-foot guys set high middle screens to occupy the defenders, and they roll hard. And, and to me, Michigan's defense, when it goes with that jumbo lineup, looks like it's scrambled and chaotic. And if you look at the last three games versus big conference schools, the numbers really back it up. UCF, 52%. Rutgers, 48%. Minnesota, 51% from three in those three games. And Michigan has been outscored from beyond the arc by 36 points in those three games. That's a major concern. And and I just think that with a really big lineup, if you're looking at your best lineup right now, I'd play Hunter at the center and Moose is his backup. Now, I know that creates a lot of problems uh, with, with minutes, but here's the truth. If you play a massive lineup, great size, you sure as heck better win the rebounding battle in a big way. You should block a ton of shots, and and you should dominate with your inside-outside play. And it's not happening when those two are on the floor. Now, let's see how things evolve. And um, Sam, before we go into the other positions, I I also want to throw something out. I want to be sensitive to the fact that with COVID going around, you know, past performances um, over the last the, the last week or so, um, I, I, I was listening to your show last week, I believe, and there was a lot of talk about how does Devontae have 17 against UCF mm-hmm. and zero against Rutgers. I'm going to tell you that I followed very closely in the NBA a lot of players that 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 struggle and then go on the COVID health and safety protocol list. There's a correlation there. And so I, 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 I've got Devontae's back. DJ may have been pretty sick in that game. And, and so I think it's something just to throw out there. Yeah, could very well be the case. And that would that would explain it. I talked to you know, I actually talked to Phil about that. And he was he was like you would expect Phil to be. Um, he, he was sensitive, but at the same time, Stern saying, yeah, we can't have a guy, uh, you know, not get any points in the starting line. I mean, we just can't can't have any guy that plays right. just not have any points. But there there could have been a reason for that. The, one of the other reasons why it really stuck out is because he had shot the ball so well. Mm-hmm. And we, I, I want to come back around to dedicating some attention to to, to Devontae. I want to stick with your four and five discussion here really quickly because you talked about 
playing Musa and and Hunter together. That that's a getting the most talent on the floor at the same time, but is it is it getting the best team for what you have uh, right now on the floor at the same time? It, it, it doesn't sound like it's this that that's the case because Caleb Houston, Caleb Houston was was listed was rated as a four by our guys at twenty four seven. Now he's he's been a three at Michigan, and I wonder if you think playing that position has been has contributed to you know th- how slowly things have come along from a shooting perspective you know when a guy is pressing tim whether that's pressing on the defensive end or you you have uh, you have better defenders on you uh when you're playing a three spot as well uh, is that something that you think is affecting him to the point where maybe he might be better suited to play the four position for michigan you nailed it sam excellent excellent work so caleb houston is a special player. The NBA scouts still love him. I asked the same scout this week, is Caleb Houston a first-round draft pick in next summer's draft? He said, absolutely. Here's the problem. He's very young physically, and, and right now, Caleb Houston is not a college small forward. He's a power forward. And, and I think that, that, that he and Hunter would fit better together. I know they've been out there for times together, but but I think that the Caleb working at four would really be special. Um, so he's young physically. He, he will grow and mature. He's going to get more athletic. Remember, he should be a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. And, and it's good to get, you know, get on the track to get to the NBA early. But, but right now the game looks a little bit too fast. And, and when he has two seconds to catch and look at the rim and shoot, it's beautiful. He just He doesn't miss very often. The problem is nobody leaves him as a small forward. And, and I, I, I believe that he's a, he's really trying hard on defense. It would make him better if he's covering fours. Um, I expected him to be an all big 10 small forward this year. Um, I, I think that power forwards is his best position. They also need Brandon Johns backing him up. Look, I'm, I'm still a fan of Brandon Johns. I've known him since he was in high school. He's super athletic. He's capable of more, a lot more. And if you look at his average, five points, two rebounds off the bench. Those numbers don't look as good if you take away his 20-point and five-board game against Nebraska. Somehow they've got to get him to be more productive. But with the scenario I've talked about, there, there, there's going to be a problem if Hunter is backed up by Musa and Caleb is backed up by Brandon. And what do you do with Terrence Williams, who I like a lot as well? 6'7", 225. His natural position is power forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can he guard threes uh, is what it boils down to. You can see the work. I want to give T. Will credit for the work he put in to expand his game offensively, to be more of a three-man on that mm-hmm. end of the floor. Uh, but you are who you can guard. I've heard coaches say yeah. that. I've heard coaches say that a ton. And so when you scramble – and I ask Phil this question too, Tim, because you know statistically, and I know you're a big stat guy – I mean, Michigan isn't, you know, isn't bad overall defending the three-point line. But you look at here recently, they've been one of the worst teams. Obviously, Central Florida lit them up from three. After Michigan was up 12, they're going to lose that game by double digits. And then Rutgers. Rutgers uh, goes off from three as well. And you see that a team that typically you don't look to as a three-point shooting team have some success. And you're like, okay, do we – is there cause for concern? And so that's really resonating with me, what, you, what you're talking about, Tim, about 
hey, you, you might not necessarily be able to say, I want to throw my most talented guys all on the floor at the same time because that might not be what fits best on the floor for you mm-hmm. defensively, it sounds like what you're saying to me. Yeah, you're exactly right. And 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 I want to go into what I said earlier about the the small forward position on this team and the way small forward is played, not only in the NBA, but in college basketball today. Um, when When you think about a small forward, you want somebody that can cover multiple positions, can shoot the three, can drive and create, get to the rim, play on the break. That's huge. And so who did Michigan have last year? Well, Franz mm-hmm. at 6'9", is a small forward. Mm-hmm. And he's the favorite for rookie of the year in the NBA right now. Isaiah Livers, so versatile. I, I think he was a great college four. And I could see Caleb Houston playing a little bit more like Isaiah did yeah. last year. But he, he could easily play the three. And Shondi Brown, he could cover three spots. He could make threes. He could drive. So when you look at their roster now, the truth is that there's nobody that's versatile like like I described described from last year's team. Um, you know, maybe maybe Jace or Isaiah Barnes can d- develop into that. Maybe you play a three guard lineup with Kobe Bufkin. He's not quite ready yet. I, I think Jet Howard may be that guy next year. But once again. Who's going to take it right now? Yeah, and shout out to Franz. He has been big time. I mean, mm-hmm. You talk about the no surprises, uh, you know, in the in the NBA in the rookie class. Franz and Scotty Barnes. I mean, those guys for to be thought of as projects heading into the draft. Tim, they have <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I and I I have to eat crow on that too. Not on. Not on Franz as much as Scotty Barnes. I thought Scotty Barnes was a reach, not talent wise, but thought he was a little further away from doing what he's doing now. He's been he's been outstanding. You know, Sam, it makes me think that as basketball fans, I think both you and I overestimated how how impactful both Caleb Houston and Devontae Jones would be this year. Mm-hmm. But but I also know that that a lot of NBA scouts, they watch all of these players too. And we see them miss all the time. And, and we, that, that, that's, that's the fun part of, of breaking down players. Like when you look at Paulo Bancaro from Duke or Jabari Smith from Auburn, you know, I study these guys and I, I like watching them play. And, and I think I've got a pretty good idea who's going to translate into the NBA as a star and who's going to be a role player and so on. I, I, sometimes I think that we make mistakes and we get it right just as much as NBA scouts do. <laughs> Well, let's talk about Devontae uh, because, look, he stepped up in level. No question. Mm-hmm. I, I think that players are bigger, stronger, faster. That's an adjustment. He's playing with a, he, he's playing with, with players that clog the lane. I mean, you, yep. you got a couple of bigs that the paint's not going to be clear for you like it was maybe where you came from. Uh, and then there's the, the pressure of the, the, the pressure of expectations. So you you throw all of these on his his shoulders, and you know I say that to to maybe temper temper some of the criticism. I cut him a break, and I say that that some of the criticism isn't warranted. It is, but this was a a bigger adjustment uh, than maybe I accounted for it being for him. Now to his credit, the three games before Rutgers, I mean he was he was playing more like we thought he would play. And I don't know about you, Tim. I thought Central Florida was his best game which is why I was so surprised to see him in the Rutgers game. But like you said, maybe there was the illness that, that contributed to that. So 
do, how do you feel about him now based on the track that he was on before he got sick? Do you, you feel like maybe his, his trajectory or arc, if you will, is, is trending towards maybe what, he, what we thought he was going to be? So I, I still believe he's going to be a good player. And I, um, I have to admit, Sam, that I, I learned a lesson this year that I'm going to take with me about Devontae. I um, I studied his film, like many of the, the, the fans and many of the listeners, they studied his film from Coastal Carolina. And you saw him knocking down threes, beautiful mid-range game, um, you know, making steals. He was a star in transition. And we're not seeing that. And I, and I think that looking back on it, I, I talked to some NBA scouts that saw him play in the G League um, tryout. And they said he was just great. He was one of the best guards there. So that boosted my opinion. And when I watched his video, yeah, there were no bigs that they were clogging the lane. He showed good range. He, you know, he made some beautiful plays on defense. But the lesson learned is about video analysis. And I want to take you back to when my son, Kellen, um, he was class at 2012, and he played at Western Michigan and Georgia Tech. I coached his AAU team, and I put together – a video on him that would make you think he's probably 40% better than he really is. Um, you know, it was the perfect skills tape. He had three dunks in his career. They were, they were beautifully spread out through. Um, he, he was an average defender, but every steal and block I had on videotape um, off the dribble, he was just okay. Um, but, but, but I showed some great plays of him making really good passes. And I, I know that looking back on it, it helped his recruiting because if you watch this video, you'd think, man, Duke should be all over this guy. He's outstanding. But but the truth is, it it's reminded me that we've got to temper our enthusiasm when we re, we watch players and their videotapes because you can make somebody look a lot different than they really are. And so moving forward, the lesson I've learned, when, when I look at Michigan's roster, six of their players were at the top 100 camp. And so I spent time with them and I watched their games in person. And I could make a more accurate read. Um, in the future, I'm gonna I'm gonna be very careful when I re- watch a player, and 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 see his video and and make my final analysis. I'm gonna be more careful. Yeah. Uh, again, I think that how he had been playing, he was shooting the basketball much better. Uh, you know, I think statistically, I have to pull up his his um, his stats over the course of the season before I commit to Central Florida being his best game. But it felt like his best game. I'll mm-hmm. tell you that. I agree. Definitely no, felt you're like right, it. you're right. He it, did a little bit of everything in that game. That's what we want from him. Yeah, and so if he can, if he can get back to that, uh, you know how he had been playing against against UCF. Uh, you know he had a he had a good uh, a good outing before that against Southern Utah. Uh, you know I thought in the uh, in the Minnesota game uh, he was one of their uh, you know he was one of their more complete ball players in that contest as well. Uh, and so can he can he do that? Can he be the steadying force for them in the backcourt? Because they need that. They need him to be a decent shooter from, from three as well. Because this gets to uh, maybe my overarching question for you, Tim. How much of what ails this team can be corrected? Like, how, how much better shooting do you think that they can get from, from this squad? Uh, it's a it, it plays into their NCAA tournament possibilities. It plays into how much you think they should play the younger guys more. I mean, where are you at with the you know the 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 corrections? How much of this is correctable in season? Well, the 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 concern that I have 
is it's going to be a challenge to get right for the the Illinois game this weekend if they play it. And then they've got Maryland. It's just it's going to be a challenge because this isn't really a time when you can work on your shooting fundamentals. You you, you sharpen your offense. Um, you you try to keep your legs fresh. They're having to ramp up their their performances to get guys back in shape. Now I will say this: when Michigan lost time last year due to COVID, they came out and they were on fire. They they really did a good job, and so I'm very hopeful that that Juwan has some some special ideas and some techniques that he's taken from his NBA buddies about how to get a team ready coming off of COVID. That should be an advantage, like it was last year. Yeah, you hope so. Um, you know, this it, it definitely uh, the the sick players aside, the guys who who weren't ill gives you time to rest your body, to regroup, collect yourself uh, mentally as they uh, were heading into a gauntlet stretch. Man, you, you talk about, I mean, Michigan State, Purdue a few days later, then the end of the week against Illinois. I don't know if there's a tougher stretch for any team uh, this season. So uh, they'll still have to play those teams likely. Uh, but this does give them a chance to to recalibrate and, and reset. But so so let's talk tournament prospects. It was my opinion, Tim, that if they had beaten Michigan State at home last Saturday, assuming they had played the game right, that all right, I would be feeling I would be feeling optimistic about their their tournament possibilities. Uh, not mm-hmm. to say that they had punched their ticket with that one win, but I would be feeling good if they had lost that game. Uh, it was my opinion. It was going to be a struggle for them to make the tournament. Where are the quality wins on this schedule? That would be a home game that would have dropped. So now that those games have been postponed, they're going to have to play them probably in a more condensed fashion. How do you see this team's tournament outlook? So I'm assuming that that Illinois on Friday night will play. And we know how much Brad Underwood is going to want to beat Michigan and beat them badly. And Kofi Coburn wants that game. Michigan has struggled this year versus good defensive centers that slow Hunter Dickinson. The crowd will be electric. If if Michigan loses that game, they're seven and seven. And if you look at the schedule beyond that, three of your next six games include at Indiana, at Michigan State, at Purdue. There's a good chance that that you're three and six. And that's a tough hole to climb out from. Also, as you mentioned earlier, with, with with Johnny Davis and Keegan Murray and, and the all-league players that are coming back, there aren't as many easy games. And quite frankly, uh, Michigan starting off with Nebraska and then getting Minnesota at home going to Rutgers, you would really hope, if, if you're a big-time NCAA team, that you start out the Big Ten 3-0. and That that should have been a, a pretty favorable way to start your season. Yeah, it should have been, but... Shoulda, woulda, coulda, right? Uh, Illinois is going to be tough. Maryland has been a team that has gone through some some turmoil. Some it's been tumultuous times. Is obviously mm-hmm. uh, sounds like the fans ran Turgeon out of town, and so I mean you, you feel like there's an opportunity there for Michigan. Nothing's a given, but you you right. hope that maybe uh, you know you can not conceding the the Illinois game, but you hope that they can get some momentum somewhere in those couple of games. Uh, as they, uh, you know, they'll have until Sunday to prepare for Indiana. And now things are looking, are looking, if you got some momentum going, looking like maybe you can pick up a little more uh, with Northwestern that week. And now you're feeling pretty good about yourself if you can get a nice little three out of four in that stretch there, Tim. No doubt. And and one thing that I'm I'm looking forward to, and I'd like your opinion, 
is if Michigan spends some time going small a little bit more, um, you know, more opportunity for Frankie and Kobe. And, you know, I'm not sure Zeb's status right now, but, but do you expand the roster? What, what have you seen from those young guys that you like? Yeah, I, I, I think with, with Frankie, it's the, it's the energy, it's the aggression, it's the way that he can, on both ends of the floor, affect pace of play. Uh, he doesn't solve your, your shooting issues, uh, but I think that there's a lot that can come from when, when he's on the floor. Once he gets more comfortable, you can maybe turn your, your defense into a little more offense. You can run a little bit more, potentially, I think, with, with him on the floor. Now you you go to the other side, Tim, and you talk about uh, you talk about Kobe Bufkin, and I think you know how highly I think of him. Mm-hmm. It is going to be a transition for any freshman, right? Uh, especially in this particular instance, where there are guys that were ahead of you in the pecking order, uh, and, and now suddenly they're looking at you as one of the the only ISO guys potentially on this roster. So it's it's a it's a tough ask to ask him to be a frontline offensive guy especially when you got veteran guys in front of you. But I think they got to empower him to, to hunt a little bit more and to be comfortable with, with missing. Don't be reckless, but be aggressive because I think there's function in his mistakes. I think growing pains for him are a good thing to get out of the way now because I think later in the season, if he gets some of those growing pains out of the way, I think that he can be a, a weapon for them offensively at that point that he, he probably isn't comfortable being now. It's a good point. And I, I remember a conversation earlier in the year. I asked somebody in the Michigan staff uh, what they think of Kobe. And they love his potential, but they said physically he's still very yeah. young. And you, you may not see his best ball until next year. And that, that is pretty accurate. And you know, I, um, you know, I want Michigan to be good every year. And, and it kind of reminds me of the, the excitement that we felt about the football team this year. You know, you, you, you don't always get the luxury of having Big Ten championships every year, and that's what makes sports so great. I think all the Michigan basketball fans are puzzled and disappointed by the record and the inconsistency and the poor defense. And really one of the best things about sports is that every year – there's so much uncertainty and you're, you're always evolving different storylines. There, there's no guarantees and every team kind of writes their own story. And as, as fans, you know, we, we cheer and we follow the, the upward trajectory or in this case, the free fall and, and, and any time it can really turn around. So I'm looking forward to the next eight weeks. I, I think it's really intriguing. I want to see the adjustments and the ability to fight through the, the adversity and really sports would be no fun. And not very interesting if your favorite team always wins and dominates the competition. So I don't like the record, but I've enjoyed watching them play. And the, the, the joy that I felt from Michigan's football season, a lot of that is based on the pain and disappointment that confounded me for year after year after year. You know, th- this team is going to get good at some point. And, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm enjoying the process, Sam. Yeah, I certainly haven't given up on them either. There's, there's room for growth. I think they can be a tournament team. I, I, obviously, we can uh, pretty much I think it's reasonable to say that you know, with the way the Big Ten is shaping up, it's not going to be a, a Big Ten championship team, right? There, there's a lot of, of holes, a lot of flaws that will be too tough to fix in season, but they can be competitive. I think they can be a tournament team. But even in the struggle, Tim, I, I think it can be really helpful for them long term when you talk about the development 
of some of those younger guys. So I'm, I'm really looking at the at this season having a dual purpose. Yes, you wanna you you wanna have some tournament success. You wanna make that uh, make that run to get you there. But I wanna grow these young guys up uh, and get them ready for for the future. I think that's a, a big thing that can be a big purpose that can be served in this season as well. Again, not giving up on the season. Not saying, you know, cancel everything and just start playing the young guys all those minutes. Uh, but I'm certainly you mentioned expanding the rotation, playing those guys more. Yes, yes, I absolutely uh, do that this year. The the way things have unfolded, my friend, it is it has been a joy to talk to you. I'd be remiss if I didn't sort of get your take on the on the Big Ten as a whole. We we brought brushed it a bit talking about the emergence of Johnny Davis and and Keegan Murray. I'm curious if either of those guys have emerged you with. Not that just that they're good, but they've been fantastic. Did you see what Johnny Davis did to Purdue? It was like, man, it was an unbelievable performance. And so now the Big Ten, it looks it looks a whole lot tougher than we thought it was going to be heading into the year. Right. I think that the seven or eight Big Ten teams are going to make the tournament. Michigan's currently nine. It could drop after Illinois. Um, Johnny Davis, I don't even think he started last year. I mean, I, he, he just, he's emerged like really nobody that I can remember. Um, Jaden Ivy and Keegan Murray are, are really good guards. The big guys are outstanding. This has been an awesome, awesome start to the big 10 season. And so I'm, I'm just really fired up to watch how this materializes. Also, you got to give a lot of credit to Tom Izzo. He's got veteran guys. Yeah. Like those guys defend and they're tough and, and, um, I, I like their newcomers and I, they have a chance to win the Big Ten, Sam. I, I I wouldn't say they're better than Purdue or Illinois, but I think they're right in the mix there. Yeah, they they definitely have have exceeded expectations to to this point. Got to give them credit. All right, we hopefully when we come back around next week here in the Michigan Basketball Insider, we'll be talking about the Wolverines getting back on the winning track. But even if they don't, always a pleasure, always fun to talk to you, Tim. So looking forward to that. And who knows, maybe we'll be talking about the head coach for the football team being locked mm-hmm. back in for the foreseeable future. We can hope, right? I hope. I really do. I want to carry this over. I had fun with football this year. Absolutely. All right, folks, thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.